Well, good morning, everybody. We are in Romans chapter 8 this morning. You've got your Bibles, your iPads. You can open up Romans chapter 8. So we're starting a new uh, five-week series. So just to review a little bit, this is a 100-week series where we're doing an overview of what are considered the 100 most essential texts in the Scripture. If you want to say that I understand the Bible, you would at least have a good working knowledge of these. Uh, And this is our seventh five-week series in the New Testament. Um, We did the early years of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the final days of Jesus. It's a theme there, right? Jesus. And then we got the church is born, uh, the travels of Paul. This series is the letters to the early church, and these are all letters from Paul. The next series are letters to the early church leaders. Um, So a lot of focus on on letters and whatnot. And I want to talk about those for just a second before we kind of dig into Romans 8. Uh, Paul wrote Romans, the letter to the Romans, and we know what language that was written in, right? Everybody know? Greek? Yep, you know what kind of Greek? Koine Koine Greek, yes. K-O-I-N-E, that's your first blank. K-O-I-N-E, which basically means the common man's language, which I, when I found that out, I always kind of found it funny then that uh, folks that, and I used to be one, so I can talk about this that are all hung up on the King James Version of the Bible because it's real lofty, elevated language when Jesus gave it to us in, like, the low man's language, right? So we had a disconnect there at some point, but we'll get back to that. Well, Koine Greek looks a lot different than American English. Um, At this time, and there's a couple words, it's unkeel, it's the style of this particular Koine Greek that the New Testament was written in. It's all capital letters, there's no spaces, There's no verse divisions. There's no paragraph divisions. All the words are just kind of crammed together. I actually put on your page what we think Romans 8 verse 1 looked like in the original. So if you just think about that, exactly, your eyes are like, whoa, that's kind of weird. Because how do you know where one word stops and one word another word starts? Well, you just kind of got to know the language, right? I mean, it's like hashtags in, in modern day language, right? You just run a bunch of words together and put a hashtag in front and everybody makes sense. Well... Apparently, old school way of writing was hashtag writing. Just the whole paragraph that way. So this is some tricky stuff to understand. And Romans is not an easy, uh, simple book, but uh, just wanted to kind of cover that concept. So when you would get a letter from Paul, it would be in a scroll, all one paragraph, no spaces, looked like one big word. Woohoo! Fantastic stuff, right? And they loved them. They absolutely loved them. They loved them so much that they made copies of them. And made copies of them, made copies of them, made copies of them. Um, what we don't have today are the original autographs. Now, the autograph is the copy that Paul wrote, or the guy that wrote it down for Paul wrote, and he signed with his hand. So think about what would happen if we had that copy today. You'd like eBay, right? Like the greatest eBay sale ever. No, it wouldn't. It'd be people worshiping it. It'd be people building churches and monuments around to it and bowing down to it and worshiping it. Those don't exist anymore. But what we have are thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. Um, the first, the manuscripts, the, the, I'm sorry, the autographs, the ones that the original, um, we think were written on reed papyrus, which is kind of like cheap man's paper. So it's kind of funny that you put it in common language and you put it on cheap paper. It's the most important message ever told, right? But it got copied over onto vellum parchment, which, how many of you uh, got wedding announcements or graduation announcements at some point in your life? 
One of the options to check was vellum. It's real thick. It's kind of like cloth woven stuff. It lasts forever and ever and ever, especially if you keep it dry. Uh, so all these copies that were made, many of those were made on something that would last a long time. So that's the kind of the history of the New Testament letters. Since we're going to talk for 10 weeks about letters, I thought we'd touch base on that just a bit. So, so in our two-year study, three of the five-week series revolve around the actions of Paul. So Paul's a major figure in the New Testament. It's not just because he wrote a big chunk of it. He's a major figure in it. And he's passionate, he's passionate, he's passionate about the church. Uh, he's writing to the churches to encourage the churches, to clarify the churches, and to show them what God's taught him. Um, and I think I'm going to put pause on that thought. I'm going to say something, we're going to come back to that thought for just a second. When we explain Christianity to somebody nowadays, what do we typically describe as the biggest, coolest, most awesome part of being a Christian? Being saved, okay? I would argue that, actually. When you die, you get to go to heaven. Heaven is great. You're going to get to go to heaven one day, one day way out there. And when you read Paul, that's not what he focuses on. What he focuses on is being saved. Well, you do go to heaven, but you're saved right now. We can live victoriously right now because God makes a difference right now. This makes sense? Everything changes right now. That's your next blank. Right now. Six times. That was awesome. <laughs> Christianity was a right now help because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So, we'll take a look at Romans chapter 8 this morning. Now, what was Paul's job? Anybody know? What was his job? If we had to use a modern-day word to describe what he did, what word would we choose? <clears throat> He's a prosecutor, a tent maker, an evangelist. I heard several. But his, his job that he got paid money for was a tent maker, right, because he would travel around and make tents. But what he did before he was a tent maker, really, was a prosecutor. He would bring people up on charges before religious courts of the day. He was a lawyer. That's what he did. And when you read Romans, you're going to see all of this lawyerly-like language throughout. So we start with verse 1. It says, there is now no condemnation. And this is a courtroom sentence. So there's no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life, the law of the Spirit of uh, life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. So what he's saying here is that Christians are not under the law. We are not under the law. And I dare say that 80% of the people in this room do not believe that. So I'll give you a challenge. Are the Ten Commandments for us? Who says yes? Who says no? My hand is no. <clears throat> Very strongly, vehemently no. We are not under the law. Now, do the Ten Commandments, are they reworded and rephrased in different ways in the New Testament? Yeah. All those principles are still there. But those Ten Commandments are not for us. They are not for us. They were written to, the, to Israel at a specific time for a specific purpose. When Jesus came, he took on the burden of our sin, paid the penalty for all, was the righteous, perfect sacrifice that met all the conditions of the law. The law existed to bring us under, as a schoolmaster to Christ to show us and say, oh, there's somebody who can actually do it. When Jesus did it, 
the law is now broken. He broke the law by keeping the law. Isn't that awesome? He, he kept us from having to do that because I promise you, we don't want to go there. We do not want to live under that set of requirements. And if you want to live under that set of requirements, flip over to Leviticus and start reading. You'll quit in about two chapters because it gets real bloody real quick and you don't want anything to do with that because Jesus paid all of that debt for us. We are not under the law. <clears throat> Verse 3, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Now think about this. This is a man whose job it was to prosecute people based on this law. And he is now writing a letter saying it was weak. Dare I say it was insufficient. Right? It was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus won. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So you can live your life one of two ways. You can live your life, live, live your life carnally minded and die, or spiritually minded and live. The choice is ours. It's completely up to us. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. There's not another word between is and enmity. Okay? The mind, the carnal mind is enmity. It is strife. It is this battle. There's not something that it's, it's lending itself toward a battle with God. It is the battle with God. Does this make sense? That we are fundamentally broken. And that's a problem. It is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, that word cannot means it has no power. It's insufficient. It cannot be done this way. So how many of you know what I did last night? <clears throat> You've been on Facebook today. You're probably seeing the 47,000 posts, right? Um, so myself and a couple guys went down to Atlanta last night. We saw UFC 145 live in person. It was awesome. It's a great fight. Uh, my son, who turned eight years old on Friday, this was his birthday present from his daddy. Okay, first step into manhood. Here we go. All right. Um, it was a really good experience. And the final fight of the night was Johnny Bones Jones against Sugar Rashad Evans for the UFC light heavyweight championship of the world. He's a 205-pound uh, wrecking ball machines who have more skill in mixed martial arts in their little finger. I'm pretty sure John Jones could take me down with his little finger and do probably whatever he wanted to do. As It would just be awful. It would be really bad. So this word has no power. <clears throat> this would be like me taking my son and putting him in this cage with John Jones, the greatest 205-pounder on the world, and saying, go to it, son. Knock him out. Caleb has no chance of success. There is nothing. This is not a David and Goliath where Caleb comes in with a sling and he can hit one and we, great. No, there is no chance. Of, the only chance Caleb has of success is if John Jones trips over his own feet, falls on the cage, knocks himself out. That's the only way. Caleb cannot do it on his own. The law cannot do it for us. It does not save. And Paul goes to great lengths here to try to explain this concept that it is insufficient 
for salvation. It sets a standard that we cannot meet and shows us that we cannot meet, step up to that. Does that make sense? Work UFC into the lesson on Romans 8. Boom. That's what we do. All right. <clears throat> Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So let's read that again. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he, this is the person, is not his, God's. If you do not have the Spirit, you are not God's. Okay? So the salvation package comes with the Holy Spirit. On Friday, we had a bowling party at Hickson Holiday Bowl, right? And they have a variety of different things that you can buy relative to birthday parties, right? They have the cheap version, which is what we got. And they have the, like, $100 version where you get a bowling pin. And I'm just thinking, that's not going to turn out well because Caleb's going to get upset. And Anna Grace, is, is just, this is not going to end well at our house, right? So we went with the cheap package. And the cheap package comes with, we got some awful pizza. They ate it up. They had a blast. And like a pitcher of Sprite or something and some cups. And bowl, you could bowl as much as you want for two hours. That's great. Well, the high dollar package comes with all this other stuff, right? Well, let me tell you, there's one salvation package, and it comes with the Holy Spirit. Because some people will tell you, oh, when you get saved, now you don't get the Holy Spirit. That comes later. That's like an add-on, right? It's an extra download that you got to have to make your product a little better. No, 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 no. There's one package, and he comes in it, okay? So we're going to talk about this salvation package today and what comes in that, and that's one component of it. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So somehow, we are both dead and alive at the same time. We are dead to ourselves and alive in Christ simultaneously. And this is this wonderful, uh, almost like a paradox. There's about 50 of these in the New Testament, where you're this and you're this. And you kind of go, really? That's okay. Makes my head hurt, Paul. Stop doing that, right? And we're only in Romans chapter 8. He, gets, he goes way further down the rabbit hole later on in Romans, but... This is the only chapter of Romans that we're going to look at. So verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay, I got that. That makes sense, right? You live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Our led is in the present tense. <clears throat> and one of the things that, that I, I fear that we do so often is that we live in the past trying to figure out, well, was I, did I become a Christian when I was 8 years old or when I was 11 years old? Or, and, and Paul never asks that question. He asks the question, are you being led by the Spirit right now? And if that answer is yes, then you are a believer. If that answer is no, then you are not. Um, remember, Paul is a lawyer. There is... There's a very little gray area for Paul. It is, you're either on or you are off. So are you being led by the Spirit or are you not? Now, I fully recognize that that is not a popular 
or exciting thought at many times for us, even as Christians, because we go, well, do I have to count yesterday? Or like, can I exclude two or three hours from today? Is that okay? No, no, no. Are you being led right now by the Spirit of God? And if you are, if I am, then we are Christians. If I am not, then we are not. Does that make sense? Very clear, very clear. So, verse 15. For whom... For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Because what were we under under the law? Under bondage. We're always worried about we don't measure up. So when we, we're under the law. The law says we are not worthy. We, we do not measure up. We come to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ declares us righteous. Paul is saying you don't get to go back here and live over here. Don't wallow around in this because Jesus is so much better. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah? You with me? Okay. You glazed over there for a second. I've got to make sure you're with me. Okay. Paul can get deep here. This is not, you know, you don't want to tread lightly here. So verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Let me go back to verse 16. <clears throat> the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I think this means you will know. This is one of the evidences of our faith. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we are being led by the Spirit. Uh, the Old Testament talks about we're not to believe anything, at least there's two witnesses, right? So Paul in other places in Romans talks about one of the evidences of our faith is our witness to the world. So that's one evidence. That's one proof in a court of law that we are actually believers. Another evidence is that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, witnesses to us and convinces us individually that we are believers. So if you are living like it and the Holy Spirit is witnessing to you that you are a believer, those are the two evidences in your life that you can prove that you are in fact a Christian. Okay? So he gives us these, oh, okay, that's good. These checkup points, these check-in points that we can check out. So verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. So, so this package deal that now comes with the Holy Spirit now comes with brotherhood with Christ, sonship with God, and now we're an heir. Right? So the Roman model, because he's writing to the Romans, the Roman model of adoption was you could adopt anybody you wanted to. Completely up to you. I could adopt Doug. Which in our society, would be a little bit odd, right? Would you agree? Yeah, just, just a little bit odd. Um, and, and here's the way this works. If I adopt Doug under Roman society, there is nothing that I can ever do to exclude him as being my heir. If Doug and I later on get in a fight and I want to write him out of my will, then that portion of the will is invalid because he must forever and always be an heir of mine with rights to everything that is mine. So when Paul writes to the Romans that we are joint heirs with Christ, which means Christ is our brother, so I have as much right to be a son of God as Jesus himself does, and that can never be taken away. It does not sound like a salvation that is dependent upon my works. Okay? When, we were le when I was leading Caleb around last night through the streets of Atlanta... There were several guys around me. Okay, babe, don't worry. Dave Barber and Michael Ray were walking in front, 
Albert and Bobby Jones were walking in the back, I felt pretty good. Okay? Got some, some dudes here doing this. I had a hold of his hand, and I whispered to him before we walked. I said, look, buddy, if you let go of my hand, it doesn't matter because I'm not letting go of yours. Because it didn't matter what his action was. I wasn't letting go. And this is our relationship with our father, even more so, right? Because so I could trip and fall and, you know, knock myself out, right? Which would probably be what would happen, right? <laughs> but, but this joint heir relationship that can never be undone, it is not bounded by time. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I got all tore up when I was studying this this week. So, so verse 18. So now he shifts gears a little here. So verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, this is the earth, the world, the universe, everything, groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So if you want to know why there are earthquakes and hurricanes and storms and disasters, it's because the world was not designed to live with sin. This is the effect of sin in the world. Now, can God use individual things to communicate a message to a certain people at a certain time? Absolutely. Absolutely. He is sovereign. He can step in and out of his creation at will and do whatever he'd like to. But when Adam and Eve jacked the whole thing up, it set us on a path for 6,000 years of degradation. Okay? You like that theological term? They jacked the whole thing up. I haven't read that in any commentary, but I think it clearly communicates the whole intent of where I'm going, right? Everything, everything messed up, right? Because when God made everything, all the animals got along. Can you imagine that? A zoo with no walls. Yeah, just let the tigers play with the pandas. (laughs) Try that now. (laughs) You got some sad pandas. (laughs) It'd be awful. It'd be absolutely awful. So all of creation is in revolt, is groaning in labor pains because they are waiting for their delivery from the Creator. This beautiful play on words here that Paul uses. So this world was not meant to coexist with sin. That's your blank. So verse 23, not only that, so he's not done, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. So have you ever felt this, right? That this is not right. This is not the way this ought to be. Why did this happen to this good person? Why did this thing happen this way? Why did this... Well, yeah, it's because sin. That's why. Um, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, verse 26, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings or sighs which cannot be uttered. So I hope that you have um, 
this is going to sound awful that your Sunday school teacher would hope that you've experienced this, but I hope that you have experienced a calamity in your life so that you have been brought to a place where you did not even know how to pray. Right? You just go, ah, I don't even have the words. I don't know what to do. God just, ah, I don't even have the wisdom to know which direction to ask to pray. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes along, right? And the Holy Spirit makes groanings which cannot be uttered. So what does that mean? It means groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know. It means stuff that we can't do, right? So once again, God does what we can't do. How cool is that? He is the hero of even this ridiculously complex chapter in Romans chapter 8. So he does what we can't do. So you guys know that the example that I always use for filling in the gaps and filling in the cracks is what? Caulk. There we go. Here we go. The Holy Spirit is the prayer caulk that fills in, that's your blank. Yes, I used caulk as a blank this time. That's awesome. He's the prayer caulk that fills in the gaps when we don't know what to do, right? So, Joe, you know something about my house, right? My house needs to have what done to the outside of it? It needs to have some caulk, right? Yeah. Um, And then after we caulk it all, we need to paint it, right? So what happens if we were just to paint it first? I'd still need caulk, right? We're still going to have problems. And this is what we do, I think, sometimes. We try to put on this pretty coat of paint, but we hadn't fixed the holes yet, right? Sometimes we try to pray real fancy, and we just need to back up and go, just Holy Spirit, if you just take over here, that'd be great, because I don't have the wisdom to even know what to do. Um, And that's okay, because that's what he does. Just beautiful arrangement. When we're insufficient, he's sufficient, awesome. We get to win. (laughs) That's fantastic. And that's where Paul's about to go. That's where he's about to go. So verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he, this is God, the big H, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So somehow God takes all of this mess and works it all together for good. You want to talk about wisdom. That's a ridiculous amount of wisdom to do that. Verse 29, For whom he foreknow, that's us, he, that's God, also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be, called the, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he also called, he also justified. Whom he justified, those he also glorified. So this salvation package that first included, you get the Holy Spirit, you get this life right now, you get brotherhood with Jesus Christ, you get sonship with God. You're an heir of God. Now we get to look like Jesus. <laughs> Dang, this is awesome, right? This is awesome. Have I mentioned heaven once? No. This is right now living. This is what we get right now. And we sell people on something they can't see that we can't even accurately describe. Sell them on today. Because they need help right now, today. That's the message of the gospel, is that Jesus comes to save us right where we are, right when we are. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Because I live here and now. I don't live in the future. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. Boy, I'll ask Brandenburg about that. He's good with that whole space-time continuum thing. That's not my piece. So, so now Paul, sorry, that was a rabbit trail. That was the fight last night. I got home at 3.15, so you'll have to excuse that, okay? 
So we switch gears now to the so what. So what do we do with that, right? So verse 31. So what shall we say to these things? So he's laid out this massive argument for how great God is and how God is the hero of this story. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we would all say, nobody, right? Because that's just not going to work. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's us. It is God who justifies, as declares righteous. Again, this courtroom drama language. Verse 34, for who, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also riven, risen. And it's also at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. So this, we're in like the bonus round at this point, okay? So we get the Holy Spirit. We get brotherhood with Christ. We get sonship with God. We get heirship with God. We get to look like Jesus. And now Jesus is praying for us along with the Holy Spirit. What more do we want? Good gracious, this is ridiculous, right? It's like those Ronco commercials, set it and forget it, and more. If you order right now, you'll get 14 copies of this thing, right? And you'll get this and this and this. And my favorite part's the turkey baster injection, which is like, that is just wrong to do that to a dead bird, but okay, whatever. Um, but it's just, he keeps piling it on and on and on and on. And we wonder why Paul dedicated his entire life to this. Piling it on was the wrong word right there, wasn't it? Yeah, that wasn't right, okay. I'll edit that out of the podcast. That's okay. All right, so Jesus is praying for us as well. So verse 35, and we're about to close. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And at this point, we would all have to say, nobody and nothing, because this is inseparable. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? And the nakedness there is not like I'm running around the street naked. It's I am so poor that I have no money to buy clothes. It's poorness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all these things we are what? More than conquerors. And you know why we get to conquer? Because this is God's battle and he's already won it. He has loaded us down with all of these things to help us live this life right now. That is why we are more than conquerors. It is not because of anything that we did. More than conquerors through him who loved us. We conquer because of God, not because of ourselves or our actions. And now Paul just kind of becomes, he's on his soapbox now. He, he, I just see him. He's probably standing up, screaming this to the M&AS guy that's, that's writing this down. He's like, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Can you see him just going, yeah, I think I'm perhaps persuaded that neither. No, he's probably getting into this. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we say, amen, right? I mean, that's just, woo, let's go do this thing. Um, So what's my challenge? My challenge is to stop worrying about tomorrow and be filled with the Spirit right now because tomorrow will deal with itself, right? We Just right now we have all of these things. So application, what's the point? Number one, we are not under the law. Number two, Holy Spirit and Jesus are praying for us. And number three, God is the victory. He is the hero of our story. So what do we do with that? We'll live in the freedom and liberty found in Jesus Christ. So often we want to stay bound up and wound up to all of these uh, man-made rules and regulations. Quit that. Don't live there. I spent the first 23 years of my life wound around the axle, around all this you got to live it this way. You got to do it this way. You got to do it like this. You got to. 
It is the most constraining, frustrating, aggravating thing to live under this law-like structure. There is freedom in Christ. He has drug us out of that pit and put us onto a solid place so that we can live a different way. And then number three, tell people about our hero. Because he did it for us, we can do it for them. He is still in this business. He has been in this business for 6,000 years, which is awesome. And he will be in this business forevermore. It's a fantastic God that we serve. Amen? That was fun. I love Romans. Romans is an awesome. This is the only lesson in this 100-week series in Romans. So go home and read like the other 15 chapters. They're awesome too.